right, thank you for joining us this morning right here on the Steve Schramm Show. Man, it's another great week to be serving the Lord, to learn how to become a passionate servant of Jesus, how to defend our faith with confidence, with zeal, with passion, with vigor, with intellectual clarity and honesty. Man, that's the kind of thing we do around here. We talk about those kinds of things. Just a quick reminder that the show is brought to you by our online learning experience called the Creation Academy. Get there by going to creationcourses.com. We're all the time putting new courses out there. There's only two right now, but we're adding more, actively working on more. And uh, indeed, we have uh, the Creation All Access program out there. You can get access to all current and future courses for 34 bucks a month. So we encourage you to head there, creationcourses.com. Check that out. All right, well, without further ado, we are going to dive right into our subject matter for this week. It's a continuation of what we began talking about last week. And if you remember, what I put before you last week was just the simple idea that your truth is not a thing. Your truth is not a thing. We started talking about this because this is the kind of phrase that circulates around many Christian circles in this day, or um, especially, and of course I have have no right to judge somebody else's salvation, but it certainly circles around and traffics in these these cliques that, that claim to be Christian, but yet often hold to ideas that are very, very unbiblical. And so in those scenarios, one is <laughs> kind of forced to wonder whether they are actually Christian or just Christian in name only. And, you know, in America these days, it's almost hard to believe that. It's almost hard that uh, hard to believe that somebody would claim to be a Christian just for the sake of claiming to be a Christian because of what follows from that. Uh, you know, Christians uh, in America in many ways are are looked down on. Uh, we, we do have rights, we do have liberties, and, and we're thankful for that here in the country that we live in. At the same time, we must remember that uh, things are not getting better and that Christ did indeed promise that there would be tribulation attached to the following of his name. And we see that now. We, we we don't see that persecution near as much in America as they do see it and experience it in the rest of the world. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in those scenarios. But my friends, let me tell you, to be a Christian in name only in America today, I really don't even understand that. It seems to me like you have got to be all in. And so what we're dealing with is the notion that we have some people who claim to be a part of our worldview, but they view reality in a way that does not seem to be consistent with the Bible. And specifically, they view this notion of truth as though it were a somewhat relativistic enterprise. That is, I have my truth, you have your truth. Uh, I I follow God, of course, but he is just, you know, Jesus is really just one pathway to God. Often this thinking leads down that road. 
and to many other ideas, of course, that are unbiblical. So I, I mentioned to you last time this super simple idea that if truth doesn't exist, then it does exist. If truth doesn't exist, then it does exist. Because, of course, if it's true that there is no truth, then there is truth. Because the fact that there is no truth is true objectively, and that is a truth. Okay? So we're talking about the kind of thing that originates from outside of oneself, not inside of oneself. Of course, uh, even on this, there are those that are going to disagree, uh, which is also amazing to me, but it, it's pretty much been objectively proven that the earth is round. The world is round. We, we do not live on a flat earth. But the world's not round just because I think it is, and the world flat because somebody else thinks it is. The world is round because it is objectively the case. It is true no matter what you feel or think about it. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And we ended last week by saying that truth is just simply that which matches reality. Truth is that which simply matches reality. And I want to tack on to that this week by saying that relativism just simply leaves one without a basis for, well, any kind of claim, but especially moral ones. So relativism, uh, of course, you should probably be familiar with that if you listen to this podcast. But of course, relativism is this idea that all truth uh, is relative. There is no such thing as objective truth, which, as I just showed, cannot possibly be true. So this there is at least some objective truth. Now, there are some things that are relatively true. There are some things, although I don't endorse the language, I don't endorse the way of, uh, uh, this way of saying it, but one could precisely say that it is true for me that vanilla is my favorite ice cream, okay? So it's not necessarily true for you that vanilla is your favorite ice cream, but it's still true in your reality that vanilla is my favorite ice cream. So in other words, in, in a sense, this is, it's not objectively true that vanilla ice cream is better, but it's, it's objectively true that my favorite ice cream is vanilla. So even in these things that are more relativistic by nature, like the flavor of ice cream, there is still a, a way to see in that this notion that objectivity must exist with respect to truth. So it's not, in other words, a matter of personal revelation. Now, again, a lot of this that we see, and I gave you some quotes, if you'll remember last time, and this is where I kind of want to bring it down to, all right? Now, this is not going to be an extremely long lesson, okay? But I, but I, I wanted to kind of drive the point home with, with a separate lesson from what we talked about last week, all right? Um, I think there might be good intentions, hear me out, with some of those, at least many of those, in this kind of thinking, who are caught up, you know, in this in this kind of thinking, you know, it, it's okay to have values. It's okay to have standards. It's okay to have personal 
personal things that you know you feel are are important to you causes that are important to you that may not be as important to somebody else right so like i i, I get that i understand that and i think that is legitimate okay but truth itself right it's a certain kind of thing it is objective and it must be or else we have no rational grounding for anything if you if you don't believe in truth, you can't get off of square number one. I mean, that is where it all starts. Uh, you know, uh, there are some very well-known apologists who start off their entire presentations by making a case for truth. Now, I don't, I don't practice apologetics necessarily via the method that they do, uh, and that's fine. But what they do is they start with truth. And they say, look, here's why truth is objective and it can be known. And so that kind of uh, helps form the foundation for the rest of their argument. Now, of course, the way I want to argue, I want to say, well, the way that reality is, the way that it is, the only reason that it is like that is because of the fact that all knowledge is grounded in Christ. There is this subjective feature of reality which we can deal with. In other words, I'm making the case for objective truth, but in a sense I'm saying that objective truth is only possible, in fact, because my worldview is true. It's obvious that there is objective truth. In other words, the world is round, not because I think it is or because you think it is, but because it actually is that way. And I'm actually arguing that there is no such thing as that on notions outside of Christian theism. So it's a little bit different argument, maybe the way that I would do it. But nevertheless, the point that I want to get to is that these folks, uh, some of them are beginning actually with the case for truth to show from there that we must make a decision with respect to the quote-unquote God thing. <laughs> uh, in other words, one of the greatest threats today is not atheism, but it's apathyism. That is apathy towards truth. Apathy towards worldview. Apathy towards Christianity. That's one of the toughest challenges that we face as defenders of the Bible, as defenders of Jesus Christ today, is this notion of, well, why should I even care? And in fact, I surveyed my audience near the beginning of the year, and that is exactly the kind of thing they're doing. They're dealing with two things, and I'm probably talking to you right now who are dealing with these things, okay? Apathyism, right? So apathy towards Christian teaching, apathy towards Christianity, apathy towards bigger questions about worldview, and fear. Fear of engaging because you're afraid you don't have all the answers. Those are the things that you guys are dealing with. That's what, that's what you told me. And so it's a big deal. It's a big concern. And so, in a sense, the way that these guys make a case for truth first is to show that because of that, this thing about whether or not Christianity is true actually matters and actually has very important and very dire consequences. So, again, I realize that there might be good intentions involved here. Um, a lot of times, this notion is sadly attached to the self-improvement 
self-development, personal development kind of space. Uh, anything that has to do with living out your, your, your highest calling or doing those things which you were made to do or created by God to do, a lot of times this incorrect teaching invades those notions. And uh, I have a really, I have a really uh, interesting take on this, a really interesting perspective on this, because I actually am quite, uh, uh, I don't want to say addicted, that's not, that's not really the right word, but I, I'm quite, um, I quite love, I quite love interacting with some personal development kind of materials. In other words, I I interact with, you know, Dave Ramsey. I, I want to I, I want to be financially a good steward. I want to to raise up my family in a way that, that we teach them about uh, becoming a better steward with money. If you're a Dave Ramsey follower, guess what? You're kind of into personal development. Uh, I follow guys in that circle, like like Dan Miller, when it comes to uh, to career advice and, and work advice and being the best you can at work. Michael Hyatt, uh, productivity and leadership. These guys, these guys are in a personal development kind of space. So the what we have to do. And these guys, by the way, I I mentioned them uh, because yes, I do follow their stuff, but also because these guys are all. Christians. These guys are all Christians. Now, there is probably some things, if we were to look deeply into their theology, which I'm not going to judge them for. I, I don't know what it is, frankly. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not saying this because I know it. I'm just saying that perhaps if we were to, to dig into some things that they believe, you know, could it be that they have Bible verses that they are incorrectly using to justify certain views on things well that is very possible that's very possible i'm not saying that they're right just because they 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 you know base their teaching on the bible i mean dan miller's work was started out of a sunday school class mike hyatt has been a deacon at his church for like over 30 years or 40 years something like that used to be the ceo of thomas nelson publishers Dave Ramsey, of course, is very well known uh, in the Christian space, and so the 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 point I want to get to here is that I'm not afraid of personal development. Now, a lot of Christians are afraid of personal development because of the very thing that we're talking about here. A lot of times, it is based in this becoming, you know, living your best life now, becoming the best you you can be, etc now okay and and there is certainly a notion on which that is incorrect and false and unbiblical but that does not mean hear me out here that does not mean that there is not a sense in which we do live our highest calling in which we are called to be who god created us to be, in which we are called to do that which God created us to do and gave us time on this earth to do. I'm unwilling to think, now hear me out here, I'm unwilling to think that part of God's love for 
humanity, part of God's love for us. By the way, he sent his son to die for us. If you don't think God loves us, then your theology is all screwed up. Does God need us? No. Does God love us? Yes. Yes. He loves us because he's our father. He's our he's our daddy. We are his sons. He died for us. He loves us. Yes, his glory is supreme. That is chief. That's what matters. But he loves us. And if the love I have for my son is any indication, and I know that, of course, uh, that, that, that could hardly even be a mere shadow of the love that God has for me. And I want to see my son do good things. I want to see my son grow up and serve God. But I want to see my son grow up and, and feel like he's living with a purpose. I want him to feel like he's doing things for a purpose. And that ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Absolutely. But you can't glorify God if you're miserable in your daily life. That, 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 do you see how there's a disconnect there? You're telling me that the way to glorify God is to be miserable in what you do just for the sake of misery? That makes absolutely zero sense. So what is the sense in which maybe there is a way to live our highest calling, to do what we're created to do, you know, to, to, to live into these statements that sometimes popular Christian camps make, but biblically? Well, interestingly, and I hope you're still hanging out with me here because I promise I'm going somewhere, but interestingly, and I mentioned this briefly last week, I read a book a few months ago called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. And man, let me tell you, it was such a great read. Oh, oh, it was such a great read. You've got to check it out. This guy, he's a Reformed teacher. Now, I'm not Reformed personally, but he is a Reformed teacher and a pastor. And he really, really hit the nail on the head with this book. He's a well-respected guy. He did a great job. I reviewed this book over at stevestram.com slash union dash with dash Christ. Union dash with dash Christ. So check that out. And uh, let me know what you think over there. But I wrote down some personal insights uh, from the book here that I want to give you. And then I'm going to read for you actually a couple of direct quotes from the book, comment on them a little bit, and then uh, we're going to be done. So maybe another 10, 15 minutes here. Okay. Because I really think that he hit the nail on the head with respect to the balance between personal development and the goal, the real goal of personal development. So here's an insight I wrote down. The, this mystical union, in other words, union with Christ, this mystical union gives us a new identity, one in which we can rest there's no longer the tiresome, grueling expectation to make something of yourself or to, quote, be somebody. Because of union with Christ, we are somebody. And not only that, but we are free from the judgment of God. Oh, boy. You just, you just got to get excited about that. You hear that statement, we are free from the judgment of God? Listen to this quote that I wrote down from him on that point. When God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. 
This is freedom. This is confidence. This is good, good news. Close quote. Man, when God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. He sees his son. He sees the blood of the crucified one. How about this? We can never understand who we were created to be. Nor can we become that person. Apart from our union with Christ. Our soul's marriage to him affords us the ability to become, quote, fully human. That is, to realize Christ's true purpose for our lives and live inside of that. The author maintains that true happiness is therefore inseparable from God's glory. Think about that. True happiness. I mean, what, when, you, when, you, you know, when you do these things for personal development, personal improvement, productivity, financial, career, whatever it is, you want to, when you're trying to live into this calling that God has for you to be the best Christian you can be, to be the best person you can be, in a sense, you're going after happiness. You want to be happy, right, in this life. You don't want to be miserable. You want to be a happy person. But true human happiness, according to the author, is inseparable from God's glory. And when you have this union with Christ, you can finally figure out who it was that you were created to be. So, human happiness and God's glory. One cannot exist without the other, since they are one and the same. And then a final insight that I wrote down. Because your life is now hidden in Christ, you no longer base decisions on what is best for yourself. You have what the author calls a constant conversation partner. Instead of I, 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 you think in terms of we. You should, quote, converse with Christ about what you see, what you hear and read, about what is happening and what you're afraid of, close quote. So you see the point there of that? We're, we're, we're no longer trying to figure out, you know, who I am created to be, who you are created to be. We're trying to figure that out in virtue of our union with Christ. Because if true happiness, if becoming that person that you are really created to be, is something other than uh, union with Christ. If that is something that is attainable other than union with Christ, well then it's not something that's bounded up in that part of reality at all. In other words, could a non-Christian ever become who they were created to be? The answer to that question is no. Think about that. That's tough. That's, That's tough teaching in 2019, but let me just give it to you again. Can a person who is not a converted, believing Christian who has been married in their soul to Christ, who has that union with Christ, man, if they have not had that, can they ever be who they were created to be? The answer is no. Can they have a fulfilling job? Yes. Can they love the work they do? Yes. Can they be a productivity guru? Yes. Can they have their financial portfolio in such good shape 
Mr. Bill Gates himself would be jealous. Oh, yeah. But can they ever be who they were created to be? The answer is no. They can fight, 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 fight for the stuff. But the stuff doesn't matter apart from the person of Jesus Christ. So you see there's this intertwining there. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Some of the most wonderful Christians I know have things. They have stuff. But yet, those Christians who don't have things and don't have stuff, as long as they're hidden in Christ, they have union with Christ, they can be who they were created to be. See, becoming who you were created to be is not about happiness in a sense. It's not about things. It's not about stuff. Becoming who you were created to be is about being in union with Christ. One might say, okay, well, uh, that's it then, right? Like, like uh, Steve, geez, there's, there's no need now for personal development, for, for financial, you know, happiness, for career happiness, you know, for all these things. There's no need for all of that stuff because you know, you're a Christian. You're hidden in Christ. You have union with Christ. You have all you need. Well, let me give you a couple direct quotes from the book. Quote, Jesus was the perfect human he was fully human, subject to all our temptations and indignities, but he lived the perfect human life. He is what human is supposed to look like. We often think of human as inherently flawed, as an excuse for our shortcomings. For example, I'm only human, you know. But the man, Jesus Christ, was the truest human, Perfectly dependent on his father, perfectly humble, obedient, strong, and kind. Christ in us now labors to make us more human, not less. And that's a good thing. Something has changed and is changing in us. Close quote. The author's really talking about here a, a correct doctrine. Man. By the way, this guy's a pastor and a scholar, uh, a, a theologian. I mean, he's you know he's not some you know uh, some personal development guru trying to write another book from a Christian perspective. That's not who this guy is. He's a well-respected pastor and theologian. And what he's arguing is that our doctrine of man, in many cases, is all messed up because even if we don't want to say it is, a lot of us think in terms of works. We think in terms of, of our fallen nature. We think in terms of the fact that we are, uh, that we often are morally bereft. And thus we think of humanity as inherently flawed. But the author is arguing, no, it's the exact opposite. Jesus Christ was the perfect human. And of course, God is working that sanctification out in us. What? To be conformed to the image of his son. We are trying to become more like Christ, who was the perfect human. Is personal development wrong? No. Jesus rose up early in the morning. Jesus had a good job. He was a carpenter, right? Jesus made time to do the work of the Father. Of course, that was his primary and chief goal. That's what he needed to do. So, 
the point I want to make there is it's not as though now of course we realize that there are things right like we had to balance teaching because at the same time that I say all of this of course Jesus himself taught that if you're going to follow him we talked about this already if you go follow him you're going to have trouble you're going to have times of temptation you're going to have times of sin you are going to have times of persecution these things are going to happen and we should be expecting them the Apostle Peter said, man, man, they think it not strange that some fiery trial has, has come about you and taken over. Look at, I mean, things are going to happen. There will be trouble. There will be persecution. But Jesus said he's overcome the world. But he overcame the world as the God man. We are human. We cannot be God. We can never be God. And thus we realize that Jesus has a God nature. He also has a human nature. We can only ever be better humans. Right? We can only ever be better humans. So I don't think there's anything wrong with personal development. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with you know, enhancing your productivity, enhancing your financial future, enhancing your career, these things. But we don't have to give up this notion of truth to do it. And that's where, again, why I wanted to tie these things together because these movements are so closely connected. We don't have to give up the, the, the notion of truth. We just have to realize that the ultimate goal, the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? It's to be united with Christ. It starts there. It starts there. Let me give you another quote. Quote, when I base my Christian life on my Christian experience, I become locked in the labyrinth of my own performance. I'm only as sure of God as my current emotions and obedience allow my eyes are fixed on myself. The gospel, the good news, is the way the Holy Spirit turns our eyes away from ourselves and on to Christ. The gospel brings you into union with Christ. Christ enters your heart and gives you faith. By that faith, you receive Christ in all its fullness. Faith fixes your eyes on Christ and rests in Him. Close quote. Okay, so thus, now here's what I gather from that with respect to our conversation. When you are trying to become a better self, what is your real motivation? When you're trying to, to, to have personal productivity, when you're trying to grow your business, your small business, when you're trying to, 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 to do your financial, you know, keep track of your finances better, right? When you're trying to become a more productive person slash a better steward of your time and resources, by the way, on that point, I highly recommend Paul Chappell's book, Stewarding Life. You need to, man, you need to pick that up. That is a great book around stewardship in the different areas of your life. It is false to say that this, um, uh, that the idea of stewarding your life well, of doing these things well, is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But just realize that it's yet another thing that has no grounding apart from the Christian worldview. That's really the point that we're making here. If we don't have union with Christ, nothing else matters. What is your motive in your personal development and productivity, etc.? If your motive is to become more like Christ, then you're on the right track. Keep on trucking. If you want to do this because you want to be the person that God created you to be and you want to live in the role that God gave you for the time that you have on this earth, then what is the problem? Go for it. Go for it. I'll give you another quote. 
I love this quote. Whatever is true of Jesus in God's eyes is now true of you. That's union with Christ. Close quote. Here, all right, here's another one. Quote, but union with Christ displaces us from the center of our own lives. It tells us we can discover who God created us to be only through living in vital union with his son. It tells us the work of Christ for us cannot be separated from the person of Christ in us. Otherwise, we run the risk of loving his benefits more than we love the benefactor. Close quote. And that's such a great perspective shift. I would encourage you. I mean, if you have Christian friends who are wrapped up in all this stuff, uh, you know, this kind of liberal, there is no truth, you know, my truth, your truth kind of teaching, and they are into this kind of thing, this personal self-help, self-development kind of thing, I would ask why. If they're truly a Christian, then what they need to realize is that the ultimate culmination of the kind of thing that they are trying to achieve is only possible in a correct Christian worldview. It's the person who bases their beliefs in the truths found in what Christ says about them in the Bible who has justification for this. And yet somehow the tables have been completely flip-flopped and turned around. It is thus our union with Christ that allows us to be the person that God created us to be. Now, there are going to be plenty of people who are not Christians, who have this mindset of they want to become their their best self, live the best life now that they possibly can. And the problem is, is that they are deceiving themselves if their desire to do that is not grounded in the person of Christ. Not the least of which is for deep philosophical reasons that their life has no objective meaning, right? If there is no such thing as God, if there is no Jesus Christ, there is no objective uh, meaning or purpose to life whatsoever. And so they have simply manufactured themselves into some grand illusion to help them feel better. So the point is that if, if anybody's going to do this at all, the only person who has justification and philosophical grounding to even be have these sorts of goals is the person who has union with Christ and they are thus inseparable. It is thus a part of our sanctification to become more like Christ, to be a better, more perfect, to use some biblical language, human. That's the ultimate goal. Let me give you another quote. In Christ, you are significant. He makes you so. In Christ, you are secure. He gathers you to himself and keeps you safe, Isaiah 40, 11. In Christ, you're accepted. But that acceptance no longer has to be earned or maintained. It is granted by grace and guaranteed in Christ. This doesn't mean you stop working, but it does mean you now work in a totally new way. I love this. You no longer work for approval. You work from approval, close quote. Golly, man, you no longer work for approval. Rather, you work from approval. Think about that. That statement is a really nice way of saying what I just said. In other words, in a non-Christian worldview, that person works to gain the approval of Christ, to gain the approval of others. 
even, sadly, to gain the approval of themselves. And that is just, frankly, self-deception. That is just a way of deceiving yourself into thinking that you can obtain some better way, some better, some higher standard in virtue of your humanity. It's not in virtue of your humanity necessarily. It's in virtue of who Christ is. Christ just happens to have a human nature, which we have, and thus, in virtue of who Christ is, we are significant and we no longer work for some sort of approval because we can never obtain it. That's the whole purpose uh, of, oh, I shouldn't say the whole purpose, but it's a grand idea within the biblical narrative. We can't ever become, we can't ever work by ourselves to gain the approval of God. We have that approval in virtue of who Christ is and what he did for us and our being a Christian. And now we work from that approval to be the best we can be in virtue of wanting to be more like Christ. One final quote that we're done. Quote, over and against a shallow emotionalism that reduces the things of God only to how they impact us individually but also over and against an arid intellectualism that reduces the things of God to abstract doctrines of cold assent. Union with Christ brings together what we so desperately need today. The highest theology and the deepest spirituality. Union with Christ holds together God and life like nothing else can because it shows that these are inseparable, close quote. Man, what a great way to finish that off. God and life. Union with Christ holds those things together because they are inseparable. Without God, there is no life. With God, I believe you have a calling and an obligation to live the best life that you possibly can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. <laughs> we just, we're in awe of your glory. Lord. We're, we're in awe of the person that you are, Jesus. We're in awe of everything that you do in our lives. Lord, we're in awe of the work that you have done to secure our place in you, to guarantee our lives, the significance of our lives, Lord, the eternality of our lives. Father, we're, we're so thankful, Lord, that you set your son to die for us, that we may have, indeed, this eternal life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for union with Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a worldview grounded in objective truth and reality. And Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord, to live in that and to hold to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone. Well, hey, I appreciate you joining us again here on the Steve Schramm Show. Wrapped up just now, of course, that small little mini-series on your truth. Your truth is not a thing. have some related topics coming up in future uh, future episodes, but uh, I just wanted to again say thank you for for giving us your time and for, for joining us. Don't forget to go to creation courses 
com. Check out what's going on there. Working on a new course right now that I hope to have up within the next month and a half or so, uh, hopefully on interpreting the Bible, how to understand and, and interpret the Bible. And of course, we're going to be looking with particular respect to some things in Genesis, uh, and, and uh, but, but mostly just how to interpret the Bible in general, why we can believe in the clarity of the Bible, and things uh, of that nature. So I'm really excited about that. Got a couple courses still on there right now, though, available, Creation and Predation, uh, the basics of creation science, understanding of those things. So you can go get those right now. You can jump into the all-access community and program. So we're really excited about that. Hope you'll join us over there, creationcourses.com. Of course, that is the Creation Academy. All right. I hope you have a blessed day and a blessed week. We will see you next time.